Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our series working through the book of Ephesians this summer. And since I not so secretly long to be the supplier of your summer reading list, here is this week's recommendation. Um, This is a book by Ruth Ann Batstone called Moving On. The verses that we're looking at today focus on forgiveness and the call to forgive. Um, This is a fantastic book. Ruth Ann is a Christian counselor. And so she shares from her experience of journeying with people who have been through really horrific things and seeking to bring God using her to help bring healing in people's lives. And she interweaves that story not only with biblical truth, um, but also with her own story of having been molested by her uncle for many years when she was a young girl. And then her own process of working through the hurt and the the healing um, of forgiving her uncle. And then as she was finally at a place to uh, move forward that with the next, to the next step, uh, her uncle died. And she never got to talk to him about these things. And so then she then goes on to share what does healing look like, what does forgiveness look like when the person that you are forgiving or the person who has hurt you is no longer around to even have that discussion with. So highly would rec- highly recommend it. Um, I believe it's on our book table. I realized in the last couple of weeks that I've given these recommendations, and then the first service like just buy this out. And so um, Amazon.com. There you go. All right. Our attention here is on Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty-nine through thirty-two, where Paul is giving very specific instructions for what life inside the body of Christ should look like and how the body of Christ should teach treat one another particularly because of what Christ has done in purchasing our reconciliation with God and thereby our reconciliation with one another. The Apostle Paul writes this, as we saw last week, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath And anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, our focus today. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Father, we do ask that you would help us to understand the forgiveness that you have worked for us in Christ Jesus. And that in turn would not only give us a new wonder and awe of your mercy and your grace, but that your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness would be seen in our lives and in our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on January 23rd, 1999, there was a story that made international news. It's on that night that Gladys Staines and her daughter Esther stayed home while her husband Graham and their two sons, Timothy, who was eight years old, and Philip, who was ten years old, traveled to a remote area, a remote village in eastern India where they had been serving as missionaries. Her husband, her eight-year-old and ten-year-old son were asleep in the car that night. They as a family had given the last 34 years of their life as missionaries to lepers in that portion of India, and they were about to give far more. It was as they were asleep in the car that night, her husband and her two young boys, that a group of militant Hindus surrounded the car, soaked it in gasoline, and lit the car on fire. 
Not only did they light the car on fire, but as they tried to escape, they prevented them from leaving the car. And as rescue workers came to put out the fire and rescue them, they also blocked any would-be rescuer from coming to their aid. And her husband and two boys were burnt alive. Story made international news, worldwide attention. What even made greater attention was Gladys' response to the torturous murder of her husband and her sons. And to a reporter who was following up with her afterwards, shortly afterwards, how she was asking how she was doing, she said this. She said, I learned, when I learned that my family was dead, I told my daughter, we'll forgive them, won't we? And her daughter said, yes, mommy, we will. From great atrocities to minor offenses, forgiveness is hard. It is excruciating. It is costly and it is not easy. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a beautiful word that is until you have something to forgive. And when someone says, in a given challenge, in a situation that they're working through, and they say, oh, and I say, have you forgiven them? And they say, oh, of course I forgive them. It almost certainly indicates that they have indeed not forgiven them. And in this verse, the Apostle Paul charges us with possibly one of the most difficult callings as Christians, which is to forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. So Paul says we need to forgive. Forgive one another. What are we here to forgive? Well, the verse before, he shares that, there, that we need to put away bitterness, we need to put away wrath, anger, clamor, slander. These all things need to get put away along with all sorts of malice. Where do those things come from? Those things typically come from experiences when someone has wronged us, when someone has hurt us, when we have experienced some sort of injustice, when some sort of debt has, inc has been incurred. When we have incurred a debt, that the response, our response is bitterness, wrath, and anger towards the other person, towards whoever it was that has, has done these things. And so when Paul is speaking of forgiveness, as the whole scripture does, we are speaking of forgiveness of things that are real wrongs, where a real debt has incurred. Sometimes that debt is tangible. Sometimes it's monetary. Sometimes there is a physical debt that has, that has happened. Sometimes it is emotional or relational. We know that quite well because when someone has hurt us, many times there's a part of us that says, oh, I just want to make them pay. That's the word we use. We want to make them pay. Why? Because we feel the debt that has been incurred. And so when Scripture says forgive, to be clear, forgive does not mean sweeping something under the rug where it is no longer visible but still present. Forgiveness is not denial, pretending that it's not a real hurt or that it's not a real debt or that it's not that bad. Forgiveness is not diminishing what happened. Forgiveness is not, to use a legal term, nole prosequi, which is a legal act that when the state has charges against a person, the state can choose not to, prosec not to prosecute those charges. 
So it's not, it's not that the, person's, the charges have been dropped, not that the charges have been, you've been acquitted of the charges. It's a decision to not prosecute them. And if there's a subsequent offense, those previous charges can be resurrected and they can and will be used against you in future situations. And for many times when people say, oh, yes, I forgive you, they mean, oh, I'm not going to prosecute you. But when this happens again, or when something else happens, somewhat similar, this offense will be resurrected, and it can, and it will be used against you in a future situation. It's also important for us to clarify from common usage, forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. It is not the same thing as reconciliation, and of course, forgiveness is never an excuse to allow for the continuation of abuse in a relationship. But what forgiveness is, it, <clears throat> it is addressing or it does address real wrongs, real offenses, real hurts, real debts that have been incurred. Forgiveness is the act. It is the act of releasing a guilty person from the punishment due them for their sins against us. It is not making them pay the debt. Forgive. Well, how do we do that? The text shows us we are to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Well, how has God forgiven you? God has shown us, he has modeled for us, he has set us the pattern of how we are to forgive in his forgiveness of us. Well, what did God forgive? Well, his forgiveness of us is both a forgiveness of our offenses, the offense of our sin, but also forgiveness of the affront of our sin. It's the forgiveness of the offenses of our sins. Are the offenses of our sins are any violations of God's law, any ways that we break them. It's not just bad things that we do, but it's also the good things that God calls us to do that we fail to do. Both of these things, any violation of God's law, whether a wrong behavior or the failure to do a good behavior, both of those things are offenses against God. And the amount of those that we have is multitudinous. I mean, consider... Your life, consider how many times you sin a day. Consider how many sinful thoughts you've had as you've been sitting in church this morning. Just saying. Uh, Consider these things and imagine that over the course of a day, let's say that you only sin just a few times a day. Let's say it's just three times a day. That you yell at the person who cuts you off in traffic. You snap at a family member. And let's say you're standing in the workplace and someone makes a really belittling joke about another coworker, and you don't stand up for that. And that's it. Well, what happens? Let's do the math on that. You'd probably be a virtual saint. And over the course of a year, three times, 365, okay, that's over 1,000 sins a year. Over the course of a lifetime, that's over 70,000 sins a lifetime. I mean, it is a huge volume if it's just three times a day. Multitudinous. Now, let's say that those sins were actually traffic violations. And let's say you've had 70,000 traffic violations, and you go before the judge, and you say, Judge, you have no idea what a good driver I am. You have no idea how many times I don't run the red light, how many times I stay below the speed limit. You have no many times, how many times I actually stop at the stop sign, and I don't drive the wrong way or run down a one-way street. I, there are so many times I do, do that. What would he say? He's like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You don't get credit for that. And at the same time, if he's a just judge, will he allow these multitudinous violations to go unpunished? No way. Why? Because there is a debt that has been incurred. There's been offense against, against the law that needs to be dealt with. There is a punishment that is due. And for each one of us, due to the multitudinous amount of our sins before a holy God, there is a punishment that is due for the debt that we have incurred. But that is the offense of our sin. 
But our sin is grievous not only in the offense of it, but also in the affront of our sin because of who our sin is against. Consider the same wrong action. A child punches another child on the playground. What happens? They get separated. There might be some discipline. There is a riot, and a person punches a police officer. That person gets subdued and locked up. There is a parade, and the president is walking by, and someone doesn't like the president, and they jump through the crowd, and they haul off, and they slug the president. What happens? He is shot on the spot. Why? It's the same thing. It's the, same, it's the same punching someone which is wrong and sinful. Why it's different is because of the affront of the sin. Because of who the sin is against. And every one of our sins are against a holy and righteous God. They are against the God of the universe. And our sins against God have incurred an enormous unpayable debt. And Jesus Christ on the cross, bore the full punishment, the full debt that we are due, the full punishment that we are due for both the offense of our sin and the affront of our sin. And he died on the cross so that we could receive the forgiveness that we do not deserve. And the extent of our debt before God is made a bit clearer when we understand what is needed to pay our debt. What was required to pay our debt? It required the death of the firstborn of creation. It required God the Father executing God the Son as he bore our sins on, as he bore our sins on his body on the death of the cross. Jesus Christ, the only sinless person who has ever lived, which that means is that he himself had never incurred a debt. He himself had no debt against God, and he had no debt that he, that he inflicted upon anybody else. The only debtless person who ever lived is the one who dies on the cross to pay our debt. And it's the very fact that he was debtless allows him to pay our debts. And Jesus Christ does this on our behalf. And so there's a beautiful image of this in Scripture when Jesus is dying on the cross. One of his last words as he cries out is, it is finished. It's a Greek word some of you are familiar with. This called tetelestai. It was an accounting term. It was ancient manuscripts where there is, this word was written on bills. And after somebody paid their debt... It was stamped to Telestai, which meant the debt has been paid in full. The debt is gone. It is paid for, paid in full. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he paid the full debt of your sin and my sin and everyone who trusts in him and will trust in him. He pays the full debt for your sin and my sin, knowing every one of them. Knowing the motive behind every sin. Knowing the frequency with which you do the same thing over and over again. And on the cross, he paid the debt of every sin that you have ever committed and ever will commit. And he paid it in full on the cross. And what God says to us is he doesn't say, you know what? Your sin was so bad. Your sin was so bad. I'm just going to forget it ever happened. It's not what he does. He says, your sin was so bad, your debt was so great, that I will sacrifice my son to pay the debt which you cannot pay. Because a real debt has been occurred, and there is real forgiveness that is needed, and I am providing a real Savior to rescue real broken people. And that is the model of how Jesus gives us to forgive. So when we forgive, what we are doing is we are not requiring someone else to pay the debt. 
is that we are saying, I am going to forego the debt. I am going to forgive the debt. I'm going to release the person from their indebtedness to me. Practically, what does it look like? Ken Sandy identifies there's four promises that we make when we forgive somebody. It means that when we say, I forgive you, it means I, am not, I will not dwell on this incident. I'm not going to play it over in my mind again and again and again. It also means that I will not bring up this incident again, and I will not use it against you. It also means I will not talk to others about this incident. I'm not going to gossip about it. I'm not going to justify myself in the court of a public opinion. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Why are these promises made? Because they're the promises that God gives to us. As he calls us to forgive, and he shows us how we are to forgive as Christ Jesus has forgiven us. But why do we do this? We do it because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Forgive one another because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. What this means, and what he is applying here, is that your debt before God, the offense and the affront of your sin, is multitudinously greater than anything that anybody can do to you in this life. And by saying that, I am in no way minimizing the grievous and horrific sins that mankind commits against another, one another. I am only clarifying that our debt against the holy God of the universe is far greater. And Paul's point is this, if God, through the sacrifice, if God through the sacrifice of his own son, has purchased your forgiveness, how can you not forgive one another? Gladys Staines, as the interview continued, says this, forgiveness brings healing. It allows the other person a chance to start life afresh. If I have something against you and I forgive you, the bitterness leaves me. Forgiveness both liberates the forgiver and the forgiven. How was I able to forgive? Now listen to what she says here. I mean, can you imagine something more horrific than your husband and your children being burned alive? Can you conceive of that? And this is what she says. How was I able to forgive? The truth is that I myself am a sinner. And I needed Jesus Christ to forgive me. And because I had Jesus in my life. It is possible for me to forgive others. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive because you have been forgiven. But we don't do it, do we? We don't forgive. Why not? Quite often, it's because we don't realize our debt. We don't realize how great our debt is. I mean, certainly no one would say, well, I don't need to be forgiven. But what happens here is you don't realize the, how great your debt is. You're very aware of another person's sin, but not so aware of your own. And you think that their sin against you is greater than your sin against God. That their sin against you is greater than your sin against God. You're not aware... Of, the, of how great your debt is. 
And if that is where you are, what Scripture would call you to do is to repent. And you need to repent deeply of the offenses of your sin and the affront of your sin against the holy God of the universe. And in turn, having received his forgiveness in Christ Jesus, to forgive as you have been forgiven and realize the extent of the debt that Christ paid on your behalf. But another reason why we don't forgive is that we don't trust that God is good. There's a part of us that feels that if I forgive this person, you know, can God bring healing? Will God bring healing? Will God bring justice? Is God's vengeance sufficient enough? Is God good? Is his goodness good enough for me in this situation right now? I, I don't believe it. And so we distrust the goodness of God. And probably one of the most salacious reasons is because we savor blackmail. There is a great power that we have relationally when someone is indebted to us. And maybe for some weird and just distorted reason, you know, we may fear not being loved, we may fear not being accepted or the loss of our relationship. And so the way that we try to maintain our relationship is by having that person in debt to us because if they're in debt to us, that provides this kind of bond of our relationship where they're not really released from it and they're kind of brought, drawn closer. But if we have a grievance... How convenient is it to remind another person of that grievance at the convenient time when we want to manipulate a response out of them to just pull that one out of the closet and hang it, over, and hang it back over their head? And that indebtedness, there is this seductive and manipulative and destructive power that we have in our relationships, this destructive and manipulative way that's so sickeningly delicious in blackmail. We want to reserve the right of revenge. But if we don't forgive, the consequences are great. For the consequences, it imperils your own soul. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus teaches us to pray, asking God's forgiveness, making a condition upon our forgiveness of others. And if you don't forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. Jesus makes this clear. Jesus himself makes this clear in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. The story here is there is a servant who is owed by another. He is owed um, a year's worth of wages that someone owes him, but he himself owes his master several lifetimes worth of wages. And the master forgives the servant, but the servant goes out and demands the year's worth of wages from the other. Here is Jesus' summary of that parable. His master summoned the wicked servant and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Parable over. Here's the application. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your own heart. That if you choose not to forgive, you are choosing to live and to be judged by the law of God instead of living in the grace of God. You are choosing to live and be judged by the law of God instead of being living and being judged by the grace and mercy of God upon you. 
and you will suffer the due punishment for your sins. Not because, as one writer states, not because there is no remedy for your sins, but because you have rejected the only remedy that there is. And by not forgiving, you imperil your own soul. And you imperil yourself, your very self. One characterization was that not forgiving someone is like eating rat poisoning and expecting the rat to die. You yourself consuming the rat poisoning and expecting the rat to die. In fact, not forgiving makes you ill. Recent article from Johns Hopkins Medicine states this, whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news? Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, and reducing depression and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. Karen Schwartz, MD, the director of the Mood Disorders, Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at Johns Hopkins Hospital, states, there's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels leading to improved health. Another recent study in the Journal of Health Psychology. Researchers analyzed the mental and physical health of 148 young adults. As one might expect, a correlation was found between high stress levels and more health problems. Not surprising, stress levels increase, people's health levels increase. But the study also indicated that in cases where people showed forgiveness of both themselves and others, the connection between stress and mental illness practically disappeared. Loren Toussaint, Associate Professor of Psychology at Luther College, who authored the study, states this. Speaking about the connection of stress to mental illness, he had this to say. It is almost entirely erased. In fact, it is statistically zero. If you don't have forgiving tendencies, you feel the raw effects of stress in an unmitigated way. You don't have a buffer against that stress. Forgiveness takes the bad connection between stress and mental illness, and he makes it zero. I think most people want to feel good and offers you the opportunity to do so. Now imagine this. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people. There are hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of Christians who are rushing around for real medical problems. And they are going, seeking medical treatment after medical treatment and alternative medical treatment after alternative medical treatment, when what is really needed is a spiritual treatment of their soul. That there is a spiritual ailment that is affecting their physicality, that is making them ill. And in this case, what is needed is forgiveness. There are other spiritual illnesses that affect our bodies as well because they are joined together as a body and soul. But not forgiving not only imperils your soul, it imperils your very self. It's taking it out of step and imperils your relationships. There is no way that you are able to have healthy and fruitful life-giving relationships if there is a root of bitterness like, that lands like on a piece of concrete and that acorn goes in there and it starts to grow and divide further and further and further and further. There is no way you can have a healthy relationship if the root of bitterness is continuing to grow within you. And it will destroy them. And not only destroy them, but it will also put fissures in the body of Christ. 
And that's Paul's point why he's writing this passage. He has spent the first half of the book of Ephesians that we have spent as a church many weeks in, talking about how Jesus Christ is the one who has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. That the hostility that exists in enmity between Jews and Gentiles and the races of this world and the hatred of this world has been removed, torn down through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That people are individually reconciled to God and thereby there is now a way for people to be reconciled one to another, joined together in the body of Christ, the temple of God, the household and the family of God. He says you need to forgive one another. Because if you don't forgive, it imperils the body of Christ. It's not easy. But you're to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And to forgive because Christ has forgiven you. Gladys Staines readily admits that prior to this horrific tragedy, her family's ministry to lepers in eastern India had been very localized. Not many people knew about it. But her tragedy and also her subsequent forgiveness brought worldwide attention and subsequent reform to the persecution of Christians in India. It drew attention on certain Hindu militant groups, brought in global attention to the plight of lepers in India and their oppression that they, and shunning that they receive. But such movements of the Holy Spirit don't go unchallenged. Because as news reports of her spread, she subsequently got the um, national award from Mother Teresa, several other national awards she was granted. And what she had done in her forgiveness ignited rage against her in many places in India. And there were riots and protests against her. And in an interview, she was asked, why does she endure? Why does she continue to show kindness and compassion? Because she and her daughter went back and continued their work in the same village where they had been before. Brian Chappell summarizing the interview states this, the answer is that kindness and compassion against the backdrop of bitterness and rage are an even greater witness to Christ. If her heart were filled with bitterness and rage towards those who have treated her so badly, her ministry of the gospel would be over. And there's a story of another missionary. And as reports of Gladys's forgiving heart circulated the country, another missionary reported that he went and he went up to a Hindu man and he gave him a little booklet, a little tract, a little booklet explaining the gospel. And the man read through this and he said, is this the same Jesus that Gladys Staines believes in? Yes. I want to know that Jesus. Sometime later, there were other reports and follow-up stories following up with how she was doing, and in particular, how her daughter, the daughter who had said, yes, mommy, we will forgive, how she was doing. It was recounted that she said that there was many times that in school that people and strangers would come up to her and say, I can't understand how you can forgive. And as Gladys talked this over with her daughter, 
her daughter's response was this. Mommy, they're Australian. I can't understand how they can't understand why we have forgiven. I can't understand how they can't understand why we have forgiven. That the forgiveness of Jesus Christ was so impressed upon her mind. The forgiveness that she had received from her Lord and Savior before the God of heaven and earth was so impressed upon her own, this, her, her young soul, that it was incomprehensible to her how others could not understand forgiveness. How others could not comprehend the need, the beauty, and the freedom of forgiveness that has been purchased for them through Jesus Christ. It is an encounter with the power of God. It is an encounter with the presence of God to receive and to know his forgiveness. And it is a demonstration of the grace of God, the grace that you have received to bestow that same forgiveness on another. May you forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. May you forgive because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you for the immeasurably great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on my own behalf. And I praise you and thank you that he did not pretend and that you did not pretend that my debt against you was not real and it didn't really occur, but rather in acknowledging that I haven't incurred a real debt against a holy God, that you and he determined to pay it for me. Lord, may your forgiveness move me, move us to forgive as we have been forgiven. May your forgiveness move us to forgive because you, O Lord, have forgiven us. Father, I thank you for the incredible witness of Gladys Staines and her daughter Esther. And Lord, I pray for them this day that your spirit would strengthen them and uphold them. That though 27 and 28 years ago, that when the pains of that loss are fresh, that your grace would renew them and uphold them anew and again. Lord, I praise you for the remarkable testimony of your people in the face of horrific tragedy for the saints at the church in Charleston when Dylan Roof slaughtered their congregation members and their pastor in a prayer service. The incredible testimony of those believers to say we forgive him and to tell him to his face. Father, may we know your forgiveness to that depth and to that degree. And in knowing that forgiveness, may we show it that you would be honored and glorified. That Jesus Christ, the sinless one who took our debt, 
would be praised for all eternity. And so it is in his name that we pray. Amen.